those not covered by unemployment insurance. Um, keep in mind there are requirements uh, of a specific number of hours for people to be working to qualify. Um, the fifth point we have is to identify uh, quarantine facilities in, in all agricultural producing areas for all ag employees. Uh, that would be including emergency centers to identify facilities for quarantine. The sixth point we have in, um, is to ensure that all ag employees are provided uh, with needed documentation in case there's a shelter or stay in place order. The seventh one is to ensure that state resources are provided to assist for social distancing. Um, we made a point to, to make some suggestions as to uh, PPE or personal protective equipment needed on um, for farm workers, um, adequate transportation, which we all know um, would encourage social distancing, uh, acceptable temporary worker housing um, that would talk about distance in bed, sanitizing of homes, frequency of sanitation practices. And the other bullet with that is financial support for employers to provide housing that promotes that. And the eighth point that we made was to ensure that um, no agricultural employee would lose their employment or face retaliatory action for reporting workplace concerns um, and make sure that employers would not be penalized for temporarily removing workers that have observable symptoms because I think it's two, two ways is so that employees don't get in trouble, uh, but also that employers also not get in trouble for taking employees who have possible symptoms so that they don't affect other um, employees. I've given sort of a summary only. I didn't want to read um, each one in its entirety, but it gives you a brief idea. Um, and as you can see on the document, um, our advisory committee voting members as well as non-voting members. So it was a good think tank um, last Thursday to come up with this document and send it to the governor's office. Um, hopefully Alejandro will, will join us to discuss a little bit more about um, the document itself and how they will be able to address some of those um, suggestions or to see if a task force um, comes of this request. Okay, Norma, thank you so much for um, sharing this letter. Uh, I do have on the Zoom group chat some uh, requests to share this letter. Um, do you give me permission to share this uh, with with the people on our on our mailing list? Yeah, I think you can go ahead and share that letter. Okay. Great. So what we'll do is we'll go ahead and attach the letter to the minutes um, that are being captured from today's call. And Norma, I know that you had. Um, only a few minutes because you have a conflicting phone call. So I thank you so much for um, prioritizing your presence today uh, with us. Um, but with that, are you available to take any questions in case some people have questions? Yeah, I can, I can stay on a few more minutes. Okay, so um, all of you should have control to unmute yourself 
Um, so if you have any questions, um, I'll, I'll open the floor here for, for a couple minutes. Okay, so hearing none, Norma, I just wanna thank you again um, for joining us. We'll go ahead and move on to um, other programs within ESD. You know, Mariana Hernandez talked to us uh, earlier, uh, sorry, last week. Um, Mariana, do you wanna go ahead and- I'm sorry, I just, uh, I have a question uh, for Norma on the, can you let us know the response from the governor or from other, and just please, after that letter. We are having come to our next meeting, and that would be next Thursday, April 2nd, we have a stakeholders meeting. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm wondering, I guess I had a quick question in terms of paid sick leave and how does that, I, I, I'm, I might have missed it on the letter, but I'm wondering if that's something that uh, undocumented workers are, being, um, are eligible for, for paid sick leave. Um, yeah. Paid sick leave uh, for H2A workers is, is being paid. I okay. think, yeah, there's, um, there's, I, I've seen it on people's paycheck stubs and they are receiving it and they can use it for legitimate paid sick leave. Okay, any other questions for Norma? Uh, Norma, it's Lex with the Yakima Herald Republic. Can you just tell me what agency you're with again, please? I'm with Employment Security. I'm with the Agricultural Seasonal and Workforce Services Unit. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Maria, this is Diana Perez. Quick question. Um, with the stimulus bills that are coming out, is, is there... Um, making sure that all the workers are going to be included in those rescue bills that are going to be coming out of, of Congress if they're funneled through the states. Just want to make sure if there's uh, an eye on that. Okay. Um, this, I think, would be a really great question for um, Gov's office uh, in terms of how those monies are going to be handled, but that's something that we can absolutely flag. All right, um, let's go ahead and move forward uh, with Mariana. Hi, Maria, and um, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for having me again. Uh, my name is Mariana Hernandez, and on the call joining me um, is April Amundsen. Uh, she's a representative with our Paid Family and Medical Leave Policy Division. Um, she will provide an introduction shortly, so 
I'll move it over to her in a couple minutes. Um, I just wanted to provide um, some rule changes our agency implemented um, since our last call. Um, we recently uh, received flexibility from the Department of Labor and are making a work search requirements optional. So what this means is that starting um, or going back to March 8th, uh, claimants will not be penalized if they did not look for work. Um, this is currently in place until further notice. Um, so that's one of the recent changes we made. We also went ahead and um, the challenges that we were having in regards to the standby denials that some claimants were receiving has been resolved. Um, so one of the other adjustments we made to the standby rule was that uh, we went ahead and changed it so now employers and claimants can request up to 12 weeks of uh, standby at the time they apply um, for benefits or an employer can also submit a request. Um, and the provision of uh, part-time and full-time um, is still in there, so um, part-time claimants um, can also apply for standby. Uh, Congress uh, uh, passed a stimulus bill, which was mentioned a little bit earlier um, ago, uh, last night, um, and this is expected to be signed by the president this week. Uh, once that becomes law, then states can go ahead and act on it. Um, as far as unemployment benefits, uh, the stimulus would provide an additional $600 to claimant's weekly benefit amount. Uh, this would be paid up until uh, July 31st of this year. Once this becomes uh, law, we will be able to provide more detailed information. As you guys know, we still need to have that um, signed by the president in order for us to be able to view all the details and um, be able to act on it. Um, so we will be updating our website and providing answers to frequently asked questions as well. So just make sure that you continue to uh, check that out as a resource. Our agency um, is also hiring over 250 positions. Um, this will help us with the influx of claims and calls that we have been receiving. As you guys know, um, unemployment benefit uh, claims have significantly increased um, in our state. So we're trying to manage this as best we can. And this is one of the, uh, one of the many measures that we're taking to try and help um, our claimants as soon as possible. Um, and like I said, uh, we constantly update our website, esd.wa.gov, uh, to provide the most up-to-date information um, as, uh, as we receive it in the agency. So those are just some minor updates that I wanted to provide this group. Um, like I stated in our last call, if you guys have any um, unemployment-specific questions, um, I will, we welcome them and are, you know, we'll be able to provide you guys answers. Um, to anything that you may ask. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and move it over to um, April so she can do an introduction on uh, that division. Um, so April. Hello. Um, I wanna confirm that someone can hear me first. We can hear yeah. you, April, thank you. Oh, oh, great, thank you. Thank you for having me. My name is April Amundsen. I'm the Policy and Rules Manager for the Washington State Paid Family and Medical Leave Program. Um, I don't know if you want uh, a brief synopsis of our program. Uh, paid Family and Medical Leave is a program that provides uh, paid leave to Washington workers. I want to state that it's all Washington workers, including H-2A employees, um, who have uh, worked in the state of Washington for at least 820 hours 
while there has been no legislation uh, that has affected our program and we have not made any emergency rules to adapt to the COVID crisis, uh, COVID-19 crisis, um, we are a program that is available to employees who are experiencing a serious health condition or may have uh, underlying health conditions that are exacerbated by exposure to illnesses such as COVID-19 or coronavirus, and or if they're caring for a family member with uh, serious health conditions. Uh, the requirement for eligibility is at least 820 hours in a qualifying period. And um, we are a baby program, so uh, there's still a lot of moving parts in, as far as our development, um, but uh, Spanish-speaking individuals can access an application online, um, or, or they can call our claim center and uh, request a paper application by phone. Um, I don't know if there's other information that you may want for me, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of brief synopsis of what is available to the Hispanic community. Thank you so much. Uh, do any of you on the call have questions? Yes, I have a question. Could you share the website for that organization? Thank you. Um, I'm assuming that's a paid leave, uh, a paid family medical leave program. It's, uh, oh goodness, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> it's uh, www.paidleave.wa.gov. Um, so that's P A I D L E A V E dot W A dot G O V. There's an option to switch it to Spanish if you're a Spanish-speaking individual. Um, so the language appears in Spanish when you're um, um, reviewing the website. And then you can look for the Spanish application online. So. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I also had a question. I'm sorry, I got on the call late. My name is Christina Ortega, and I'm calling from Yakima, Washington, from Latino Community Fund. So I'm wondering um, if some of this documentation is um, on paper that could be shared with us or in a document rather. And what do we do when we have individuals, residents um, that are telling us that, um, let's say for instance, their landlords are going against the governor's um, issuance of stopping eviction notices. What do we do to help them? Where do we send them? I don't know if this is a general question for paid family medical leave. The, um, that is, uh, evictions aren't something that we can help. I'm not quite sure what the question is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So it was a community thing. So maybe it's not evictions, but where do we send them for, um, for resources? Or is there a document that has this information? Christina, this, can you... Yeah, I'm not on you. Uh, this is Maria from the commission. We'll go ahead and take these kinds of questions at the end. Um, but as far as it goes, uh, we have not found a resource for this yet. Uh, there is a moratorium on evictions, but um, there have been some community members that have, or leaders that have pointed to the fact that there aren't actually any moratoriums on rent. Um, so this is an issue that we can dig a little bit more uh, together on. 
And I think it would be really important for us to have a conversation about uh, how to pool our, our resources um, in terms of, of, you know, maybe organizations are providing this. Because at the state level, I am not aware of any um, resources yet. Um, this is Diana Perez. There was a uh, notice from the Yakima Valley Volunteer Lawyers Association, I believe, and I could send you that link here about just that, that um, they were offering free assistance or, or with this issue. I wasn't sure if you were aware of that or not. Thanks, Diana. Thank you, Diana. I actually do partner with them, but thank you very much. Hi, this is Carmen McKibben from Clark County. I have a question, two questions on ESD. The first one is you guys mentioned that there's not uh, obviously a, a strong requirement for folks to um, detail, you know, the weekly work efforts that they're doing. So when they go online through the system, is those changes uh, reflected on the online system or would they still have to walk through and because obviously in there, everybody that's filing for unemployment has an account profile right set up. Um, so that's one question because I've received a few community feedback on that. Number two, um, what about folks that are considered independent contractors? At, however, they might be in that role um, with a local employer. How does that look for them in regards to unemployment benefits? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for those questions. And this is Mariana. So, and to address your first question in regards to work search, um, the changes that we made to our IT system was for um, when the claimant answers the question, um, no, they didn't look for work. Um, prior to this change, uh, we would have to address their issue. So we would have to um, gather information from them as to why they didn't look for work for that particular week. The question itself hasn't changed. So yes, claimants um, would still be asked that question because it's optional. So if a claimant still wanted to uh, continue to look for work and they answered yes, I did look for work, we would still want them to provide us those job searches that they did for that particular week. But if they answer, no, I didn't look for work, then our IT system would not set any kind of issues um, and try to gather, you know, it would not send any documentation to the claimant. So that's the change that we did. Um, and we also have uh, banners throughout uh, the weekly claims explaining this information in English and Spanish that would you know provide them the information that if they answered no that no um, no additional information would be uh, requested until we um, until we change that again um, so that's to answer your first question in regards to your second question independent contractors are um, considered self-employed um, so if they are working for an employer as an independent contractor there they wouldn't be eligible uh, for unemployment benefits now, the states have been working closely um, with uh, the federal government to try um, and enact um, the Disaster for Unemployment Assistance Program, which is also called DUA. Um, and that would allow um, that type of population, independent contractors, to potentially be eligible for those benefits. At this point, um, 
we, again, the details um, still haven't been released to us in regards to what that final legislation is going to be. We have heard talk that um, that is part of the um, stimulus package that is included in there, but we still don't know all the details. So once we know more about how that will work, uh, we'll make sure to share that with, um, with employers and, and claimants through our website. Hi folks, this is Brenda Rodriguez, co-director of the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network. Um, can you um, explain to us a little how undocumented folks can access paid family sick and the type of questions that they would be asked? I'm gonna Sorry, I was on you. After that. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> Sure. Um, we are uh, asking folks who um, are of that situation to call our claim center and they will, uh, we will send them a paper application by mail and then they can fill that uh, documentation um, and send it back into the department. Social Securities will not, it is requested on the document. Um, but will not be asked for in those situations. Thank you. Can, can, can you repeat that? Uh, so you're uh, letting us, are you telling us that undocumented workers could qualify for unemployment then? We were referencing the paid family and medical leave program. Workers in Washington who have employment hours reported on their behalf are, are potentially eligible for paid family and medical leave program if they have at least 820 hours reported on their behalf. Thank you. Yeah, just to add to what April was saying, that is completely separate than unemployment benefits. Perfect. Thank you, Mariana and April. Um, this is Maria again. So I'll take, if there's a, any other burning questions, we'll go ahead and take one more. Um, we are about half an hour into our call and we still have plenty of things to chat about. Okay, hearing none. Um, I do want to give Rochelle Davis from the governor's office a chance to uh, chat about uh, resources that uh, were identified for undocumented individuals after our call last week. Rochelle, are you still with us? Oh no, she was on the line. I don't see her on anymore. Okay, so I'll go ahead and give an update. So after our call last week, um, I think the most resounding message uh, that we all had was that uh, we had a collective worry for our um, undocumented uh, people in, in our community who are undocumented and access or lack of access thereof to resources available in Washington State. Uh, right after our call, we did have a meeting with the governor's office to talk about um, possible avenues that could be opened uh, to provide some uh, monetary compensation or, or resources in the light of this uh, pandemic. There is a program in DSHS that uh, allows application and cash assistance 
for undocumented individuals, and it is triggered to be open during uh, crises such as these, state of emergencies. Um, so the last time that I heard uh, last week was that yes, that program um, can open and they were taking a look at increasing the, the funds uh, that was available to this DSHS program. Um, I don't have any more details in terms of how to access it, if it's open yet, but um, we will uh, in our notes act, uh, add a little bit more information so that you guys know exactly what's going on. Um, the name of the program, I'm not entirely sure at this point. I do know that it's uh, from DSHS. It's uh, under the Community Services uh, Division. So it is what, um, what you usually think of a DSHS office when you go in and apply for benefits. Uh, it is in that division. So uh, like I said, I'll give you guys more information. Uh, I am sorry that we couldn't uh, get to Rochelle when she was on our call. Uh, the rest of our agenda is going to be more community-based. Uh, we talked about having Wizen, for example, talk about what they their current efforts are, and then we'll move on to Centro Latino um, and talk about uh, Centro Latinos in Tacoma, talk about the efforts that they are taking as a community organization, and then we'll go ahead and open it up to talk um, to you, our community leaders across the state about issues that are cropping up. We did want to more um, uh, be very cognizant that Eastern Washington has less resources and so we wanted to give the space regionally starting with Eastern Washington and then we'll move over to Western uh, Washington. We are taking notes and so we will be taking uh, uh, questions and follow-up items and action items. Um, so with that being said, Wizen, uh, can you take over and share with us what you have been doing? Yeah, and I'll have my colleague also jump in and as we're having this conversation, but thank you everybody for jumping on the call today. I know we all um, have, uh, we would assume that some of us have less work, but a lot of us also are, are compiling more work to get this information out into our communities. Um, and as we know, COVID-19 is having both an impact on our health, but also on our economic um, prosperity for our families. And so, you know, there's going to be uh, impacts all around our communities and those who are most vulnerable will suffer, um, you know, the bread and butter of this crisis. And so a part of the work that Wyson has been doing, just for context, who Wyson is, we're a statewide network that engages in rapid response and deportation defense whenever immigration custom enforcement comes knocking at the door, uh, separating our families from uh, their loved ones and putting them in the pipelines of detention and deportation. And we've mapped out just how all the entire state uh, in a way is the, uh, has pipelines to detention and deportation, starting from your own county jail, uh, with contracts that they have engaged with ICE, uh, for-profit contracts that they have engaged with ICE. And so uh, through the last three years, we have been leading deportation defense campaigns, uh, holding both uh, um, the Seattle ICE field director accountable, which is Natalie Asher, as well as local county ICE agents on the ground in Yakima and Spokane, uh, whenever they do detain one of our family members, asking them to have uh, good faith in releasing them. And we have been, uh, in many occasions, um, uh, victorious in it by getting people out of detention within the first 72 hours. Um, and so that's a little bit about who we are. Um, we also have some of our steering committee members here who are Latino Community Fund. Uh, Northwest Immigrant Rights Project is on our board of organizations who kind of lead this work. Um, we're a membership-driven organization. Um, our, our network organizations are the members. Um, and so uh, our goal is to really bring everybody together uh, create um, so that we can be more efficient and really move resources across the state 
uh, part of our overall vision is that we redistribute resources from the west side, especially calling out King County, who often gets all the funding to put it back into central and eastern Washington. And that has been on our, on our you know, one of our, our strategies to build power, um, because we know that most of those resources are not available in Tri-Cities, are not available in Yakima, are not available in, in uh, Grant County. Um, in Adams County and these counties that continue to feel the the worst impacts of immigration enforcement, and we we foresee that um, you know COVID will have also a similar impact where when hospitals get overburdened, uh, people will you know won't have the resources and will shut down uh, some of those operations when those who are our communities who are risking their lives who are the frontliners and they're the safety net of America are putting everything they need to keep this country running, but yet they're being excluded from safety net programs such as unemployment insurance um, and still depend on their employer to, to be able to request paid sick leave. Um, we're grateful that Washington State has this paid family sick leave program that allows that if either their family member is sick that they're able to take the time off. Uh, so that's a huge victory that we won as an entire movement, right? Um, and it was actually established in January. So I'm grateful that folks from that um, program are on this call so they can explain more of that process. And just for clarity, undocumented folks do not qualify for unemployment insurance, which is different than paid sick leave. Paid sick leave is when you're sick. And that really, I think, depends on your employer. And then the, la the third one is paid family sick leave, which is a program of the state. Um, and it's funded and run by the state. And so um, also uh, because of Keep Washington Working, um, immigration, uh, status, you know, the, the, the split between state agencies not sharing information to ICE is critical to let people know that they can actually trust the resource. Um, and so that's part of our work to express that that is one of the things. The other thing that we've been seeing as a major concern is that there's around 150,000 um, uninsured immigrant worker, immigrant community members in Washington state. It's an estimate of 150,000 based on a, a research that King County Public Health uh, released. Um, and so that really makes it, you know, one uh, one third of our uh, of our communities, uh, one third of our of our immigrant communities are uninsured. Um, other folks who do have some form of work authorization or naturalizing uh, have other forms of relief, but overall, 150,000 do not have uh, access to healthcare. The state can very much act on ensuring that folks have access to healthcare now for all undocumented community members. The question the question is, will we have the political power to to get them to agree with us. Um, and so the one, the technical move that they would have to engage in is that they would have to expand the Washington State Healthcare Insurance Pool, which is essentially a state insurance, healthcare insurance program that used to have its doors open. Um, but when the Affordable Care Act opened its doors, they essentially, they didn't shut down, they just didn't uh, allow for new applicants to join that work, or join that particular program. And so part of our ask that we are all organizing towards is to ask uh, Governor Inslee in this moment to reopen the doors for this particular healthcare insurance program so that folks who are have been exposed who are uh, showing symptoms or are high risk are taking proactive measures to you know do what public health is asking them to do to really stay healthy uh, and not get others um, uh, this is the way that we're going to contain the virus and, and defeat this virus right and so i think that when uh, if we let one person be sick um, you know that we can put all the stimulus packages we can invest trillions of dollars but we need to be able to really have people to trust public health to take the recommendation seriously but also to have the, their needs met so that they don't have to face hunger or not you know be evicted from their homes as mentioned earlier um, and so that's a little bit of our work that we have been working on I essentially identifying the advocacy priorities for the state that we must act up on right now in addition to uh, 
uh, employment, um, just employment uh, matters, right? Uh, un uh, sorry, unemployment insurance, paid sick leave, uh, paid family sick leave. And then the healthcare, we're also working around uh, the constraints that immigration enforcement uh, terrorizing our communities uh, and the geo company who's a for-profit company continuing to run operated stores at the Northwest Tacoma Detention Center. Um, they have been, uh, I, I believe it was on March 13th, I, can be, I think it was last week, uh, Northwest Immigrant Rights Project, the ACLU of Washington um, uh, and the National ACLU uh, did a litigation to demand GEO to release high-risk individuals from the NWDC. Uh, you know, a week later, that local federal judge decided no because there was no evidence that there was somebody who was COVID-19 positive. Uh, you fast forward just to this week, someone in New Jersey tested positive and the judge um, made a ruling that they would be released based on, on potential exposure. And so uh, because of that, ICE has released an alert system of COVID-19 cases within their custody. And so we need to continue holding the, holding the line and ensuring that one, we shut down the Northwest Tacoma Detention Center, you know, which is our long-term vision, but immediately uh, release anybody who's high risk, pregnant women, folks with chronic illnesses, elders. Um, and we have heard that individual folks have started to been released. And so we also need to find a, a solution for them as they're coming out. Um, and then the second thing that just came news to us as of last night, that um, uh, the Seattle Immigration Court announced over Twitter over Twitter that they will reopen their, their doors in Seattle for people to continue with their immigration court hearings, uh, which honestly is a, is a threat to our public safety. Um, and it just shows the, the, that immigration custom enforcement is not in tune with the nation and is not in tune with public health or science period, right? And so I think um, all of us should be angry at the fact that uh, these operations that are non-essential um, are continuing to operate under this pandemic where all of us are sacrificing We've sacrificed jobs. We've sacrificed. Um, some of us have been in, in, in isolation for over 15 days. We're kind of losing our sanity right here. And yet ICE continues to operate like it's no business as usual, which is not. And so um, we have been holding uh, you know, advocacy around those three fronts. Uh, in addition, we've been struggling on how do we get sure, how do we make sure that resources to communities um, who are afraid of both public charge uh, right, afraid of, uh, of accessing services such as access to food. Um, and when those, uh, you know, if there's any relief for uh, access to rental assistance, when they do come, ensuring that they're not afraid of accessing those, those needs because our, our communities need, need a roof, need food, right? And so um, uh, we have been thinking about a way that uh, how do, can we centralize this information for undocumented communities and immigrant communities who are afraid of these potential risks of public charge? One, uh, letting folks know that public charge, uh, especially when we're talking about testing and care, won't be considered as public charge based on a federal, um, you know, federal agreement, but also ensuring that our local institutions are aware of that and that also there's no um, ICE presence in those healthcare institutions is important for us because the moment that we hear of ICE in any local clinic, uh, that rumor can just really paralyze our communities to continue accessing the care that they need. And so, um, yeah, I think one of the ways that we've been thinking about how do we centralize, uh, particularly because a lot of these resources are through forms, through online, um, and they're sometimes not language accessible, uh, a centralized uh, hotline or in collaboration with others that people can come and get that help that they need as um, like kind of like a case manager through our hotline. And so, Folks know that we have had our hotline. Our hotline um, is 
has been functioning for people to report again eyes outside their door or when their loved one has been taken away. Um, and so we've, we've been working with our statewide partners to figure out how can they organize those resources and not have to worry about ha having to met, uh, uh, people power a hotline and that we would just connect people directly to them. Um, and then the last thing that is still is in the horizons is uh, working to create a statewide undocumented families relief fund. Um, I really encourage all of us to be thinking of this together because when we all are able to come together, really invest our resources together, we will be able to create a bigger fund that can go straight into the ground into families who need it. And so uh, the Wise and Steering Committee, which is uh, around 19 organizations who are geographically uh, dispersed across the state, um, we'll be talking about that in a way that we can, and, and really opening the doors to folks in this call with the Latino Civic Alliance, because we, Latino Civic Alliance is a partner who we deeply value and want to be in, in relation to and in partnership with. Um, but essentially all of us working together to create uh, this uh, undocumented immigrant um, families relief fund. Um, and the purpose of that is that organizations will kind of help manage the, the distribution of that um, fund. Uh, and also be able to uh, create a, a mechanism that allows for people to trust it. Um, and so um, that's a little bit of what I wanted to share. Um, we are still kind of figuring out the structure of it, but uh, our goal is that by April 8th, we'll have the, uh, the infrastructure set up so that, um, again, we, we will function as a place where people can come and convene and you all will really lead this wherever we need to head it towards. Um, and so some of our partners include um, the uh, unemployment law project um, as mentioned where um, as well as other health partners who are who have been working with us brenda do you have anything else to share you got it all up thank you <laughs> yeah we've just been working a lot lots of coffee in our life right now um, but yeah I'm, I'm sure that our undocumented communities will uh will persevere that's what we're all about i am undocumented myself um, Brenda, I don't know if you want to share that, but we've just been hustling, ensuring that folks who are on the ground don't have to be afraid. Um, and as many of you already started receiving those questions. Okay. Montserrat, Brenda, thank you so much for sharing this information. Oh. oh, I'm not on mute. Sorry. I saw that you put yourself on mute and that. Uh, thanks for sharing all this information. Um, I do really like the call to action and inviting um, the people that are on the call to help with the endeavors. If they wanted to get a hold of you, how might they get a hold of you? Yes. Our emails in the chat. Um, and we will also share an email that we just created for COVID-19 purposes, whether you have information, you have resources that you want people to be aware of, um, you can email it there and it'll be accessible to our communities in their language through the hotline. Yeah, also if you wanna, if you're planning to organize a resource, um, again, uh, or if you have needs, um, uh, we've been actually able to secure some funding that we're planning to already get, get out and so, um, without uh, county restrictions. So our goal is to get it out um, relatively soon. Um, but right now we really need you all so that we can make this effective and together um, so that we can all you know, kind of organize around one particular fund where we're all in agreement, where we're all in agreement with the values, the principles, the distribution of it. Um, and yeah, we just hope that we, in this moment, we come together so that we're more efficient in a, in, and when we're efficient, we're able to get information out quicker. Perfect, thank you. Um, so Hi. I want to be mindful of everybody's time. We've got about 10 minutes left and we have um, Centro Latino also on the line to share some information um, about their current work. I'm gonna go ahead and unmute you. Yasmin Bernal, Thank you very can you hear much. me? 
Yes, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Take it away. Good, great. This is uh, Bernal Baca. And uh, we're, I just want to first of all say we're open uh, at Central Latino providing uh, uh, essential critical infrastructure business as uh, Governor Inslee uh, uh, produced that executive order. We fit under the healthcare public uh, health component of that. And we're uh, uh, really aware of the social distancing piece. So we're following that very closely. But there's four areas that I wanted to talk about that I was asked uh, as a community organization, what are we doing? Uh, we're f providing emergency financial assistance for uh, domestic violence and sexual abuse victims uh, who reside in uh, South King County, Pierce and North Thurston counties. Uh, it's all bilingual, of course. And uh, we uh, provide confidential shelters uh, where uh, provide up to $3,000 per client for relocation and $2,000 for allowable expenses that might include uh, gas, you know, diapers, formula, et cetera. Uh, we also have uh, uh, the services, uh, you know, for Latinos and in, in our indigenous communities. Uh, we One idea that we came up with that uh, is putting together, a food, we are a food bank location site. And with that food bank, we're able to uh, put together uh, educational materials around the census. So we're doing census completion by utilizing the food bank because even though we're going through this virus, this is actually a good time to fill out your census since you have to stay at home and have nothing to do. You could write, write your census and send it in. Uh, we're also doing, uh, working with the uh, Tacoma School Districts uh, are providing students with uh, supplemental packages that they're making available for their pre-K through 12 uh, grade students. And we noticed that uh, there wasn't a lot of bilingual staff uh, for that. So uh, our educational resources uh, that we're providing, we're running off copies of these uh, assignments so that when they come by our center, we can drop them off in, in, in their car and uh, they can uh, give them to their students to practice their skills independently. We're also, uh, I really like the last presentation by Wisen because uh, we, in the last week, have been putting together a list of families and folks who are undocumented who are in need of uh, resources. And what we're offering in, in form of the resources is housing, uh, uh, food, uh, auto payments, utilities, and childcare. So we're, uh, uh, being able to provide these services to undocumented. And I really like the idea of the relief fund. We want to uh, work with that because we are getting small grants to uh, uh, make payments for people for their utilities and for their rent in a lot of cases. So uh, just to let you know, our website is up to date uh, and it's language accessible. Um, and we're here to serve our community. So there we have uh, a, a staff of about four people right now who keep uh, the center open. And, uh, you know, we 
obviously are not allowing people to to have face-to-face -face, uh, come in, walk in because we're, we're really aware of uh, the need just to have more drive-by service and phone service. So uh, thank you for letting us to present and Maria for doing such a great job of bringing us all together. Thanks, Bernal. And we do have to uh, give credit to Nina Martinez also, who, you know, was a catalyst in bringing all of us together. Um, I'm, I'm sorry that she could not uh, join us today, but we did uh, record so that she could catch up on what was uh, talked about today. Um, we have five more minutes. I recognize that's not enough time to really dig into issues that communities are experiencing, but I do want to give some time to our Eastern Washington folks. Um, I know that uh, LCF brought up the issue of um, lack of access to resource for people who are needing to um, pay rent. So that's something that's flagged and we can work on um, together. I'm happy to talk more to you, Christina, about that um, offline. Um, but Eastern Washington, what else uh, are we missing? What other issues have come up between uh, last week and today that uh, need attention? Um, I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump in again because I don't see any of my teammates doing it. <laughs> Please do. So we are actually experiencing the same, um, the same issues that Monse and uh, Brenda addressed regarding our undocumented folk. Um, not knowing what they have rights to, what they don't have rights to, where there's resources, where can they get testing? They're giving, you know, they're getting the runaround if they have um, minor, I guess, symptoms. They're being told, they're being redirected and then redirected and redirected again. And then they're like, and how do we pay for it? So it's it's pretty much the same thing. I think our undocumented community is you know, they're, they're all, they're scared. They don't know where to get their resources. And we just need to make sure that all of this information is in Spanish as well, because, and, and just being verbalized, because to be honest, we do have individuals that don't know how to read. Um, and so it needs to be verbalized to them and told to them, because otherwise they won't get that message. So those are the concerns that we're dealing with here as well. Okay. Um, Christina, thank you. Uh, let's touch base. I don't have your email address, um, but you can um, email hispanic at cha.wa.gov. I um, know some immediate answers to some of those questions, and um, I'm happy to make sure that we can work with you. I mean, right now um, the CHA team is, is thinking outside the box. Uh, what do we do in order to facilitate that information? Very much realizing that there are pools in our communities that don't have access to internet or um, uh, might not be able to access the already translated information. And so doing videos um, and doing videos with community, I think might resonate even better than you know seeing my face who they don't know um, or seeing our staff's face as well. And so I think this is a place where we can really think outside the box and partner to make sure that um, our most vulnerable um, family members out there are being um, taken care of. So um, please reach out. Uh, you know, we've got, we've got some time um, between now and our next call, will, which will be taking place again Thursday, next Thursday at 12. 
um, so that we can keep teasing out issues and making sure that we are mitigating those gaps. Maria, this is Oscar also, sorry with LCF. Um, just also we've been hearing, and there's also a collaboration with um, Maria uh, Monse and Brenda about in Central Washington sheriffs or police um, asking for essential uh, worker papers or documents to show that they are, they're supposed to be out and about on the streets based on the governor's uh, stay home order. Um, so just maybe like a question if there's something, is there any other, have you heard anything rumblings on the state? And then the item two that I wanna bring up real quickly, we have some time, is the alien emergency need through DSHS. That is um, an avenue where uh, DSHS has allocated some funds for for treatment like cancer and other uh, health uh, needs for undocumented communities. And so I'm trying to see if we can advocate for an expansion of that fund so that you know undocumented communities can be served that are currently have corona or want to get tested on corona. And then the other piece is the charity care uh, that in hospitals are, are mandated to do by law, which is uh, if someone is low income, they have to serve them uh, regardless and they can do it as a charity care uh, write-off for the hospital. Um, and I, just, I, I don't know if you have any information on those items or if we yeah. can keep exploring them. Yeah, so I do. I do on the first two items. So I'll start with the alien emergency medical. It's actually through the healthcare authority, not the Department of Social and Health Services, but that is a specific Medicaid program that is state funded. And that program actually has already expanded its uh, definition to serve uh, and provide medical insurance to undocumented individuals who are experiencing um, health issues due to coronavirus. Uh, so if we do have members of the undocumented community who um, do fall to COVID 